Hi everyone, long time no talk. Welcome to season two of Rarely Write. I'll be honest with you, I have tried to restart this podcast several times and I have failed several times. So I am coming to you very humble in the sense that I would love to start this again, but I definitely will need your help. Because season one, while each of those episodes were as authentic as I possibly could be, they were baked ideas that I had already mastered in some way. They were topics that I had talked about in my previous books or with clients one-on-one or with friends. They were ideas that are really in the core of my DNA that come up in my stories time after time. In fact, those who know me best when they would listen to the podcast nearly could say some of the things I was saying with me. They were part of who I am. Now, season two is a little bit different because I find myself, and maybe you find yourself too, in a completely different season in life. Now, right now, the world is experiencing quarantine 2020, and what I've begun to call it is a forced pause. We've been forced to pause our lives, and that has manifested inside of us in different ways. Some people have lost their jobs. Some people have had to transition what their job looks like. Some people's anxiety has accelerated to a whole different level. Insomnia is on the rise. Depression is pulsing through so many individuals' veins. Extroverts are being forced to live like introverts and introverts have folded deeper inside themselves. For me, a forced pause has caused me to stop running. And that may seem like common sense to you, but for a professional runner of issues, it has been incredibly difficult. You see how I have always handled trauma, I'm learning, or pain, or hard decisions, is to make an absolute decision, right or wrong, and run as fast as I can to the next one, never thinking about the opportunity to turn around. Never thinking about the chance that even though it's not what you want, you don't have to keep committing to it day in and day out and keep chasing after it just because you said you would. I've had to learn that a pause also gives you an opportunity that you eventually take to turn around and to look back. And in doing so, being crippled by the reality that you're not on the right road at all. So when we come into season two, I'm not coming to you in a quote-unquote authoritative figure. I don't have these ideas well-baked. I am not in a healed place. Instead, I'm coming to you honestly and openly to say, can we learn together? My favorite toy growing up was hands down my dollhouse. I loved it. And to be honest, even now as an adult, I find comfort in knowing it's still in my parents' attic. See, make-believe for me truly defined my childhood and that dollhouse was the centerpiece. I loved that I could approach it every day or hour by hour, either extending the narrative I had already created earlier or completely starting from scratch. You know, I was never stuck in a story I didn't want. 
which also reminds me of the time I ran away. I can't tell you why. I'm sure it was something silly because I was incredibly young. But I went all the way to the back of our yard. To be fair, we had a large yard. But that just shows how how deep this rebellion actually was. Nevertheless, I went to the backyard and I hid under my favorite pine trees. And what did I bring with me? Two old books from a garage sale that I couldn't even read on my own yet because I was too young, and a notebook. And I sat under those trees and I pretended to be a stranded professor. I was smart and I was a survivor and I could do anything because that's what smart stranded professors can do. Now it's a cute story, but underneath it, just like the dollhouse, packs a message that I feared my entire life, that my story as is, is not enough. A self-deprecating mantra that states to be worthy, you must be more than you are. Now to sit inside the understanding that as a child, daydreaming was both an escape and a night and a nightmare to me was, it's just unnerving. I was a creative kid. I loved a story. I never realized that part of that obsession was because I felt my own narrative was broken and less than. The pattern now is that I'm starting to see a cycle of chasing worthiness from the wrong sources with the wrong tools for the wrong reasons. And the problem with seeing is that once you see something, you can't unsee it. For me, in the midst of this forced pause, I'm experiencing this understanding that I've been running for some time. And I don't mean running in the sense of cardio, a good workout, a reason, you know, the reason you can have those extra glasses of wine on the weekend. I mean running as fast as I could and as far as I could from the place that I was. You see, because it turns out in my head, if you run hard enough and fast enough, you don't have time to look back. You don't have to pay attention to the signs and the red flags. Your history of pivoting when shit hits the fan is like muscle memory. You accept it like you always have. You turn a blind eye because you have to. That's what competitors do. They don't listen to anyone else on the course as they're running. They focus on the goal ahead, getting to the finish line, creating the next story because the one you built your life on just crumbled. See, running isn't actually always movements, by the way, but it is always internal decisions. Sometimes running takes the form of hunkering down, ignoring the things around you because you believe surviving demands it. Sometimes running is giving up, letting go of your ambitions and hope because it's getting to be too much work to hold them up as the world says no. And yes, sometimes running is actually getting up and escaping. See, what I've realized is no matter what it looks like physically on the outside, I've begun to define running as a defense mechanism response to personal trauma and triggers. In other words, running is rough stuff. forced pause that we're inside of, I find myself 
in deep contrast. And I wonder if you are experiencing this at all. There's part of me that's, that's almost relieved that, that I have to sit here and experience all the things that I've been running from to actually process and work through what it means to feel, what it means to heal, what it means to go through the anxiety and the depression. There's, there's a peace with that. There's a gratefulness with that. But simultaneously, in exactly the same moments, within the same exact breaths, I feel fear and anxiety about the anxiety and shame. What I'm learning is that maybe healing is a stage of existence, not a step to check off the to-do list. And if healing is an entire stage in the human condition, in my condition, in your condition, then maybe healing is defined differently than what we've tried to make it in the past. I guess for me, I've always looked at healing as a place to get to, a mountain to defeat with a constant climb up. You know, of glowing reviews and, and, and gold stars along the along the way, you know? Like an internal fanfare where you get pats on the back and way to go sluggers. Like when you're in T-ball in those early years, right? Any of you out there? And, you know, you could have literally missed the T entirely every single time or ran the bases backwards or sat down and picked flowers in the outfield, but by golly, at the end of the game, you'd get a pat on the back anyway. I guess I've looked at healing as a place I wasn't required to try much. I was doing it, okay? There was grief. I, I went through it-ish, okay? What more do you need from me? I guess the thing that I'm realizing in this pause, in this new place, in this place where life is stuck, is stopped, and pain is demanded to be felt that healing comes in waves. You know, sometimes there is peace, but sometimes there's shame. And sometimes there's more pain than where you started. Healing lives in the contrast because it's not stagnant. It's not something you show up to and get a participating trophy for. Healing is a different kind of sport entirely. One that doesn't happen without surrender to it without an active willingness to get down into the trenches and dig up the junk you've been burying one by one. What I've learned is healing is a choice. In this stage of life, in this season of pause, in this podcast season two, I'm choosing to heal. I'm choosing to process what healing looks like. I hope that you'll choose to join me in that journey. This is short today, I know that, but podcasts will begin coming out every Tuesday. I don't know what this journey is going to look like. I'm a little anxious about that, but I hope that you'll be willing to dig in as well. Hey, welcome back. It's Rarely Right. We're in season two. If for any reason you missed the first episode of season two, um, feel free to go back. If you don't feel like going back, feel free to push forward with us. Uh, last week was just an intro. I did notice there was a lot of sound issues, which is really weird because I did the recording all in the same spot and yet the sound goes in and out. So working on that, I apologize for that. Um, the first episode, if you don't want to go back of season two, was simply to say where we're at and I'm going to repeat that here. And 
this season, you know, however long it goes, is really meeting me and therefore hopefully you in a season of trying to comprehend and work through what it means to heal, to think about healing as a process that you go through versus a destination that you're aiming towards. And that's really the crux of it is I've really begun to take a look back in the midst of this pause and to see that I looked at healing as a destination point, right? Like if you aimed towards it, you'd eventually get there. You know, the whole like, you know, we're just not at the top of the mountain yet. We're, we're in the valley sort of thing. And I took it too deeply to heart, right? It was almost as if healing was going through the motions. You know, you felt the pain, you ached, you let time happen, and eventually you'd get there and you'd get the gold star and you'd get through it. And in reality, especially when you finally pause and look back, is you can be running on a treadmill or you can just be burning a hole in the ground or you can be blazing completely left when you should be going right instead of actually healing if you don't pay attention and you don't actually put the energy and the right steps into it. And so my hope through this podcast and, you know, to be honest with you, my own life healing is to understand what it looks like to stop. I almost jokingly said stop, drop, and roll, and I really apologize. But to stop and comprehend what healing physically is. And I know I keep repeating that, but I'm doing it on purpose to iterate the fact that every single one of us have gone through our own traumas in our lives and we've all dealt with them in different ways but what I'm realizing is is dealing with them and healing from them are radically different you know dealing with them is compartmentalizing them or numbing ourselves or creating defense mechanisms like gambling and alcohol and sex and money and you know things like that Um, It's lying to ourselves. It's becoming super overly aggressively busy. It's not getting out of bed. It's plunging ourselves into getting into the best shape of our life. It's hiding ourselves in the refrigerator to eat away our feelings. Dealing with it is not healing from it. We live in a culture right now that puts us under a microscope with social media and how easily connective we are, we've lost connection to ourselves. And what I mean by that is we feel this pressure. I do. I can only imagine that you do to virtually keep up with the Joneses, to paint this perfect picture. You know, I've I've seen so much depression and angst and anxiety and comparative comparatism happening because of social media where everyone's posting their best possible case scenario pictures and yet we're painting it as if that's their full life right when they post all of their perfect happy moments when they 
post the picture of themselves at the perfect angle after they use the perfect app with the perfect coloring and they've made three adjustments. That's their life right now. And we look at it and we go, well, why am I not that beautiful? Why am I not that successful? Why am I not that happy? Why isn't my relationship that great? And we're all incredibly intelligent humans. And we know at the end of the day, we too are posting our best pictures. We too are using apps. We too are taking 20 different angles until it's right. But when we're looking at other people's and we're going through their pages, we get lost in it. We get lost in it. And we assume that we're failing. And on the same side of that, when I'm talking about the microscope and I'm talking about healing, we get caught up in having to prove we're healing falsely versus feeling our healing truly. We have to tell people we're okay. Oh, yeah, you heard about that? Well, let me post a whole bunch of things about how well I'm doing in my healing process. Oh, yeah, you heard about that? Well, look, I've lost 10 pounds or 20 pounds. Oh, you heard about that? Well, don't worry. I'm making it better this way. We get caught up in recreating or changing the narrative or proving that we're healing. It's an external social way to deal with healing versus the actual internal work of healing with healing. This microscope lies to us inside our head and says, you can't hurt, you can't ache, you can't bleed, you can't disinfect, but you must pursue forward, you must blaze forward, you must pave over this, cement over this, hide this, push this down. It's shoving everything under the carpet 2.0. You've gotten more creative because now it's under layers and layers of cement. The carpet is flat. The shit is hidden. And we do it over and over and over again, so much so that we begin to memorize the narrative of we're okay. Until something happens until our trauma is triggered until our anxiety comes back maybe until there's a pandemic and we're stuck in isolation and we have no choice healing is a process healing is not a destination one of my favorite poets is Rilke and he speaks about the lessons of life in um, a letters to a young poet and he talks about instead of chasing after these answers you know in- instead of literally being obsessed with them maybe live inside your questions and maybe as you're living inside of those questions as you're feeling your way through you'll feel your way into an answer And I've begun to wonder if healing isn't the same way. Instead of being so fixated on the words, I'm healed, maybe live in the wounds in a way that you're actively trying to understand them, actively trying to cleanse them, actively trying to work on ways to heal them. And in doing so, in working through them, you come out the other side and inevitably find yourself healed from them. And that's what I'd love to do throughout this podcast is talk about different ways in which that can happen.
maybe different ways that other people have shared that it, it, it has happened. Now, for me, this was going to be a completely different recording today. And then the riots happened. More importantly, the actions before the riots happened. And what it's done is it's brought up so much agony and pain that was in the foundation of, you know, the United States specifically already. You know, talking about healing and not addressing the massive, horrible, bleeding elephant in the room would be tragic, regardless, you know, of my personal audience and size. I feel that it is our right, any of us that have even a small voice, it's not our right, it's... um. It should be our requirement, if I'm honest with you, to speak up. So um, I am I am an ignorant white ally. And what I mean by that is, is I grew up in a dominant white community, a really small farm town. I went to a liberal arts college that was predominantly white. I have worked in mostly organizations that are predominantly white. I know for a fact that I have gotten away with so many things in my life, you know, a speeding ticket or jaywalking or being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I've gotten away with it for being a white female. I know that I have no idea how to start this conversation. I know that I have no idea what it would be like to fear for my life every day because of the color of my skin, because of the beauty God gave me and having unfair circumstances handed to me day in and day out. Not because I'm not intelligent, not because I'm not educated, not because I've not been raised by a loving family, not because I'm not taking care of myself, not, you know, hundreds of different things I take for granted every day, but simply because of the color of my skin. And I don't know what to say. I don't know how to help except to say, I'm listening. I think racism is a word that individuals like me, white individuals, especially those of us who really want to help, assume is slang against us. Assumes that it's throwing dirt in our face and and it's not. I think I think racism is a reality. It's not it's not something that's saying you know you're doing wrong. It's saying that we are in the wrong that we have you know <sighs> I'm having such a hard time because I'm so emotional. I think racism is a word that has been 
miscalculated in the heads of white individuals, especially progressive white individuals, who assume that it's you saying that I'm a racist. Um, and I don't think that's it. You know, and, and again, I'm a white woman who has benefited from the color of her skin and who has never had to feel the injustice that my black brothers and sisters have. And so please know that everything I'm saying is not to say that I'm right, is not to say that I have any authority in this. I don't. My voice should be far weaker than the voices around me who have felt this, who are educating those around us. But what I'm trying to do in my platform is say that what if we put down our barriers? What if we put down our defenses and we pulled in a chair and we listened and we said, what do you mean when you are talking about racism? What if we said, what does that mean to you? What words and actions am I saying and doing that is causing angst, that is feeding the problem? No matter how small it may be to me, please explain it to me because it is very clearly large and painful to you. I do not want to be part of the problem. I want to be part of the solution. I do not want to cause you hurt. I want to hold your hand and walk in the streets with you and help you create a problem. My challenge to all of us in the midst of what I hope is a revolution in something that should have never been part of our country and for sure should not be part of 2020 is to say, if healing is going to happen in this country, then those of us, especially starting with those of us who claim to be allies, it starts with us being vulnerable enough and willing enough and thoughtful enough and selfless enough and humble enough to say, I understand in this situation, I am not the authority. I understand in this situation, I do not know what the word racism means in comparison to you. It's saying, I understand in this situation, I am weaker. I am less than. I need to hear you and not be heard. Because I think until we educate ourselves, until we understand what we're doing that either feeds or minimizes the problem, we can't be part of the solution. Healing is sometimes being still. Healing is sometimes listening. And healing is always reflecting in and learning how we can be better. In this time, how can we be better? And to my brothers and sisters um, of colored skin, you know, black, tan, what have you, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that this is still happening. And I'm so grateful for each and every one of you who is lending their voice to telling us what is wrong. Obviously, we're very aware of the ugliness, the deaths, but they weren't the only thing happening. And we we're so grateful to you that you're sharing your voice and helping us understand all of the underlining issues that we 
can participate in helping create a solution once we're educated.